Good morning. I was sitting in my office in work a couple of years before I retired. Whenever the switchboard, the secretary put through a telephone call. She said, Mr. Farrell, I'm a bit confused. This is an international call. And the girl is inquiring about employment. And since you're responsible for staffing, I thought you would be the person to speak to her. I picked up the phone, and there was a young girl on the other end of the line. She said to me, I'm just checking who is picking me up at the airport tomorrow morning. I said, sorry? She said, I'm just checking to see who's collecting me. I'm coming in on an EasyJet flight tomorrow morning. I have been accepted for the position of a foreign languages teacher in your school. I said, what? She said, you advertised for the post. I applied and you accepted me. I said, I'm sorry to break this news to you, but we haven't advertised. There is no post. The telephone call went silent. She said, um, I replied to an advertisement online. I received a letter confirming I got the job. I sent them a deposit for the accommodation which you have provided. I gave them my bank details. I sent them a copy of my passport. And you're telling me there is no job? I said, unfortunately, that is true. You've been deceived. And I must confess that at the end of that conversation, as I listened to this young girl at the other end of the line sobbing, I was shaking. Not because it was directly impacting on me, because I realized the impact on this young girl who saw the potential ahead of her of a new life, a foreign languages teacher in a fresh country, and she'd been deceived. And what we're going to look at this morning is this whole question of deception. And I want to approach it from a slightly different angle. I'm going to give you quite a lengthy preliminary before we lead the passage and then just highlight some of the text. In the midst of the text we are going to read this morning, there is a passage, a phrase which said, they went out from us. They went out from us. If you want to find it, you'll find we're reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 onwards. They went out from us. When I read that passage in my preparation, and that little phrase, it resonated with a phrase from the life of Christ. And whenever we read in John chapter 13, in the Gospel of John chapter 13, we read of an incident in the life of Christ whenever he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And when he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, John uses exactly the same phrase to say, 
he went out from us. They went out from us. He went out from us. And John is drawing a parallel in this passage that we're going to look at between the incident in the life of Judas Iscariot and the disciples. I want to clarify something. I want to talk about this incident from the perspective of the disciples. The Lord Jesus Christ knew exactly who Judas Iscariot was. The Lord Jesus Christ clearly states that he was not a believer. The Lord Jesus Christ knew his ulterior motives, but the disciples hadn't a clue. They were deceived. Completely and totally deceived. You recall that whenever they come to sit at the table in the upper room, the Lord Jesus Christ washes all of their feet, including the feet of the one known as the Iscariot. And then he offers him a morsel of bread, and then he tells him to go out, and he went out from them. And the disciples are confused. They don't know what has happened. They thought that he was just going to go and buy some supplies or to give money to the poor because he was responsible for the money bags. He held the money. Whatever money that group of men had, Judas Iscariot was trusted enough, trusted to the extent that he was given the money. And the disciples sat around and they, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, one of you will betray me, they looked and they said, who? Who's going to betray me? Are you? Which one of us is it, Lord? They hadn't a clue that there was one in their midst who was set upon being anti to Christ. Anti to Christ. Anti Christ. You recall that every time you read of Judas Iscariot, it's money. 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 Whenever they, the vase of ointment was broken, he said, could this not have been sold? And the money given to the poor. Whenever he deceives and whenever he goes out to, uh, to betray the Lord Jesus, he's doing it for money. And money was his love. Money dominated his life. What his motive was for joining the disciples, why he hadn't left with others who had left earlier on in the passage, we don't know. He was there, and money was everything to him. John says, on reflection, he was a thief, but he was one of them. They trusted him. They believed in him. He actually went out with them when the Lord Jesus commissioned the disciples to go out. Judas Iscariot 
went with them. He was part of the group. And as he went out, the Lord Jesus Christ then addresses a group of disciples, knowing what is ahead. He says in John 13 and 33, my little children, my little children. A, a phrase of endearment, a phrase of embrace. I have five grandchildren, the youngest two are about this size. And every day we have, they're leaving, we have this little game. They run up to Granda to give them a, an embrace, and I do that. I say, I can't reach you, you're not tall enough. They laugh and they giggle. But I kneel down and I embrace them, my little children. And then he goes on to say, my little children, uh, don't worry. There's one who has deceived you. There's one who's gone out from among you. There is one who is going to fulfill the prophecy of betraying me. But don't worry. I will come again. John 14. I will come and I will come back for you. And then he goes on to tell them, he says, and, and don't worry, I, I won't leave you alone. I will provide for you a, 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 the person of the, the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, I want you to abide in me. You think, what is the connection? I thought we were doing 1 John chapter 2. I want you to recall that whole picture which I have just painted to you as we look at this passage. Because while the, the 1 John was written under the inspiration of the, Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and we read that in 1 Peter that he was, men were driven by God. The personal experience is there. It's not written in a void, in a vacuum. It's what they experienced. John, as he's looking at this church, which is being deceived, his mind goes back to the upper room. So let's read the passage together. First John chapter 2, verses 16 or 15. I'll pause as I go through and elaborate. I want to finish a little bit earlier today because I'm very conscious that everybody is wanting to get away to camp and people have to make arrangements. So therefore, we will be slightly brief. But hopefully, I will cover the passage in the way it should be. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. What was Judas Iscariot's problem? The problem was that his focus was taken away from the person who was in front of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He sat and ate with him. He walked and talked with him. But yet his focus, whenever we look at it in the, in the Gospels, every time is love of the world. In his case, money. Making money. Possibly prestige. And he had taken his vision away from Christ. And whenever he saw or didn't see Christ as who he was, Rather, he is turning to the world. Do you know what happened to the 30 pieces of silver? It lay in the dirt as his body hung on a tree and fell to the ground. Whoever the world is passing away with its desires. We can have our focus in entirely the wrong place. Like Judas. Like Judas, we can be looking in the wrong direction. Like Judas, we could be focusing on the issues that the world... Now, don't get me wrong, the world is an attractive place, it's a beautiful place. But when the Bible is talking about the world, it's talking about all of the evil desires, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. All that dis which distracts us from God, all that distracts us from Christ. Money, power, sex, wisdom, education, whatever it might be, golf, it takes and absorbs us and we lose the main purpose in life. And then verse 18. Little children, the only time that the Lord Jesus Christ referred to his disciples as little children was in that upper room immediately after the betrayal. The only time that he uses this phrase in the Gospels, and yet here in 1 John and throughout John's epistles, it's used frequently. Little children. Some think it might just be a case that he is using it as a break in the passage. It's more than that. Again, he's taking them back. Little children, you're about to be deceived. 
And I'm going to deal with you in exactly the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with us in that upper room. He didn't scold them. He didn't debate with them. He didn't criticize them. He addressed them as little children. The softness, the tenderness. And John here, who is now an elderly man, probably in his 80s, if not his 90s, the last, possibly the last surviving disciple, the last who had walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, sees a church in chaos. And he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Now, we need to be careful here. There's Antichrist is coming in the singular. And that is a whole sermon on its own. And you won't be out of here till three o'clock if we start there. But I could take you back to the series we did in Revelation and focus on that. There is a future Antichrist coming, the Antichrist. But today, he says, now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you, you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no liars of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has a Father, and whoever confesses the Son has a Father also. I want to just show you, note a couple of things. They say at the very start, now there are antichrists. There is a future antichrist to come, but, but now within the church, within the church, taking on the form of Christians, behaving like Christians, not able to distinguish them from everybody else. Judas Iscariot and the twelve. He was a disciple. But they are here now. And being here now, these antichrists are here to deceive you. They are here to bring heresy. They are, to, they are here to bring to you false teaching. And the reality is they are here now. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 24 says that in the last days, the phrase that John uses here, that there will be 
more and more, coming in the name and saying they are the Christ. There will be more who will bring false teaching. There will be more who will bring elements which are completely and totally twisted and corrupted. And they exist now. When I say the church, I'm not talking about crescent, so don't think that I'm pointing around saying, yeah, it's you. I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking about the congregation of God's people. And as we look out on it today, time and time and time again, what is written in this book is distorted. What is written in this book is corrupted. What is written in this book is twisted. And as John says, it is heresy. This church here, which was whoever he was writing to, they were facing a number of issues. The issue, the primary issue was that Jesus Christ was not God. And Jesus Christ was couldn't possibly have been divine because the physical body is corrupt and it's only the spiritual which is pure and so therefore the spiritual cannot come in to a physical body and be divine and that's what John deals with in the first couple of verses. He says, I saw him, I touched him, I know he was physically there and he was divine. And they also, later on, he says, the incarnation is false. He wasn't born of a virgin. And he twisted. And he twisted. And he twisted. And they were of us. Today, I am not going to mention any group or any organization. But can I urge you caution? Real caution as you come to the Word of God that you understand it. And as you see and you read and you hear, in particular on the internet, that which is totally contradicts what the Bible says. Beware. They look like they're amongst us. They look like they're right. But it's corrupted. Be careful, young people, of the words you sing. I love contemporary Christian music. Don't get me wrong. I love listening to it. But some words are twisted. And subtly and carefully, there is a false message. Time is moving on. These people, these antichrists, It's interesting that he uses the phrase antichrists. It's the only time it's used in the whole Bible. 
But let me pick it up again and reading from verse 23, or 23, halfway through it. Whoever confesses the Son has a Father, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is a promise that he made to us, eternal life. If you look at that passage between verses number 15, or verses number 16, and verses number 28, the word you is repeated 20 times. You, 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 you. And it's in direct contrast to those who are the Antichrist. You. And then in the midst of it three times, he emphasizes the fact. He draws attention. He uses a, fir- a form of you which is drawing serious attention. And he does it three times. He does it in verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One. You have received, you have the, the, the teaching which abides in you. And then you have also received the words. So now you, you've received the anointing of the Holy One. That's a strange way to put that you've received the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it's put in the New Testament. But by the way, this very phrase, the anointing of the Holy One, is one of those phrases which is corrupted. Utilized in an inappropriate way. What's John doing? He's taking the anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. People think that sometimes that Jesus Christ and the Christ is a surname. Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. And so he's saying, you have got those who are the anti, the anointed one, and you have been anointed. Back to John's gospel, the upper room. I will not leave you alone. The Holy Spirit will come with you evidence of Christian life is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but you do know the truth. He goes on to say that you have received the truth. You have the words of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ in John's gospel says the Holy Spirit will reveal to you all truth and teach you. And then he goes on to say that this teaching will bring forth fruit in your life. And here we have John taking us right back to the very same words of the upper room. Whenever Judas Iscariot went out, the Lord Jesus Christ addressed his disciples as little children. You have the Holy Spirit. You have 
God's Word. You have the resources. You have the capacity. You have it all. How do you compete or defeat or deal with antichrist? The first thing is this. You need to know God's Word. That. All too often our understanding of God's Word is superficial. All too often we don't get to grips with it. All too often we don't try to understand it. And then something comes along like a tidal wave which then seems to absorb the church and we all say, oh yes, that's a good idea. And yet if we looked at what the Bible says, we'd see it's wrong. And so we have the teaching. And we have the Holy Spirit, which will bring forth that teaching and bring evidence of that teaching into our lives. And time has beaten me. But let's look at the last section. I write these things to you, though, to those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, about everything that's true, just as it's taught, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. There's deceivers coming. They look like they're part of us. They go out from us. Don't be deceived. You have received the Holy Spirit, the seal, the evidence. You have received the apostolic teaching, the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will draw that to your attention. And then he says, abide. Right through this, abide, abide, abide. John chapter 15, the upper rim, straight back again, back to that experience where he uses the illustration, the Lord Jesus uses the illustration of the vine. And that you are to abide like a branch on a vine where the source of energy, the life, the power, everything that is in it comes from that vine to the branch. And the branch goes on to bring forth fruit. And then we have those branches which are cut off. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave the illustration of the vine Judas Iscariot had left a branch which had no life. The Antichrist has no life. The Antichrists have no life. 
You have life and abide in it, cling to it, dwell in it. When was the last time you had a conversation with God? When was the last time you sat in your garden and had a chat with the Creator? When was the last time you thought about what Christ has done for you? When was the last time you dwelt with Him? You abided with Him. You were close to Him. His power was in your life, and you were bringing forth fruit. When was the last time I did it? You see, they hadn't. They'd forgotten they'd received the sealing of the Holy Spirit. They'd forgotten what they had been taught. They'd forgotten to bring that union and that fellowship with God, the vine. And then verse 28, 29 is a hinge verse leading us into the next session, section. But it says this, when he appears, when he appears, have confidence and do not shrink from him. Back to John 14, I will come again. We live looking for his appearance. Do you know why we don't have the date? Wouldn't it be lovely if we had the date? July the 15th, 2035. That would be great. You know something? Got over 10 years. What if you thought he was coming today? What if you thought he could come now? What if you lived in the light of him coming now? What if you lived in the light that he would appear? What if you lived in the light that you are not? And look at what John says, that you will not shrink from him in shame. You know, as a school teacher, I have seen plenty of boys shrink in shame because they haven't done what they were asked to do. I have seen the excuses. I have read the excuses. Shrinking in shame. There are no excuses. When he comes again, How are you going to feel? How am I going to feel? How am I going to respond? Am I living in the light of him coming again, daily waking up and saying as Christians of old Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? Or am I being 
deceived. Judas Iscariot was one of the antichrists. Judas Iscariot was caught up in the love of the world rather than what Christ was to offer. Judas Iscariot behaved exactly the same as everybody else in that group and as a matter of fact was held in high esteem and Judas Iscariot went out it was dark and today John says there are people deceiving you they're antichrists they come with false doctrine, false teaching. It looks genuine. It looks true. But how do you prepare yourself? You have received the Holy Spirit, just as Christ promised in the Upper Room Discourse. You have been taught, just as Christ promised in the Upper Room Discourse. You are to abide in him, just as Christ promised in the upper room discourse. And he is coming again, just as Christ promised in the upper room discourse. Don't be deceived. I realize that this is a complex passage. There are so many areas and directions in which we could go and could have gone. But the message I want to leave to me and to leave to you is to abide in him, cling to him, live for him, learn of him, love him, and wake up saying, today, live as if he's coming today. And if we did that, unlike those who have been so dramatically misled, we would not be deceived. Let's just close our time in, together in prayer. We'll forego the last hymn so people can get away. Our Father, we come into your presence and we thank you. We thank you, our Father, for the, your word. We thank you for the power and the impact that it has. But our Father, we pray that we may not let our guard down, that we may be prepared, that our Father, we may be aware of your word, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may understand your word, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, not be mislaid into false doctrine and teaching, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, abide in you and wait in anticipation for your Son's coming again. Help us, our Father, to look to that day with hope and expectation. We commit ourselves to you and ask our Father for your blessing on the remainder of the time this morning, or today, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus.
Amen.